Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Prevail. L'histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organisado, dinero sucio. Global corruption. Ta la démocratie. Et ahora, ATP. Et maintenant, comme ustedes, su anfitrión. I'm Greg Oliar, this is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Ron Pollard is here. This is a pretty fascinating story. Ron is a photographer, architectural photographer, actually, and he's a lover of art. He majored in art history, went to school in Chicago where he was always near the Art Institute and uh, just grew to love paintings and art and visual arts of all kinds and particularly loved art from the avant-garde period in Russia which was then the Soviet Union. This is like right around, right before the revolution and into the early, you know, basically Lenin years, that period of time in in Russian slash Soviet art, which is pretty cool stuff. And he and his brother and a third uh, partner, this is back in 2004 through 2007, stumbled upon a tranche of these paintings. I won't reveal how, how he found them, but it's, a, it's just a, it's a remarkable story. And managed to acquire some 160 of these paintings from this Russian school, which you would think would be a great thing, and it is. But there was some doubt about whether or not they were real or whether they were forgeries. And this turned into this whole thing involving Russian avant-garde artists like Malevich. Um, not to be confused with Mogilevich, Malevich. It involves Stalin being a dick. It involves and, and and art experts who love Stalin. Actually, it involves the politics of modern art museums and and what goes into having like a, an exhibit of works like this at a museum. It involves weaponized headlines. It involves potential forgeries. It involves disinformation campaigns by Russian oligarchs, which is always, as you know, one of my favorite topics. Um, And ultimately, it involves the purpose of art and why we love art and why paintings in particular speak to us in the way that they do. So anyway, I can't even, it's just a really remarkable story. Um, Very grateful uh, to Ron for coming on and, and telling me about all this crazy stuff that happened to him. There's not much else to report. It is now, as I'm recording this, Thursday morning, uh, 6 in the morning. And I don't know. I think there's still fallout from this McCarthy business. Kevin McCarthy, as we know, on the 15th vote, became Speaker of the House. 
after my joke from last week that I made on a Tuesday that we wouldn't have a speaker by Friday morning, and we didn't. But eventually, you know, QAnon Kevin made it. And now I don't know what, because this guy's a fucking full-on traitor. And I think it's really, really dangerous. I wrote about this on Tuesday. It's very, very dangerous to have a guy with no scruples at all beholden to this renegade group of insurrectionists be second in line to the presidency. Incidentally, I know a lot of people were giving me, oh, it's it's not, he's third in line. No, he's number three on the depth chart, but he's second in line. So Kamala Harris is the vice president, is the number two, but she's first in line. And he's number three, but he's second in line. It's one of these dumb, confusing things like how the, the 19th century is the 1800s, which I just wish they would just stop with that crap and just, you know, number it differently or something. But it is the way it is. English language is a strange thing. Anyway, I got nothing more to say about this. I'm terrified about it. I, I think it's it's really, really potentially awful. I hope that, you know, the powers that be are keeping our president and vice president safe because I worry about them. And uh, I don't know. We'll see if these clowns can actually accomplish anything. That's really the wild card is that, uh, you know, they are fascists, yes, but they are also dumb. And, you know, sometimes... Dumb people can't get shit done because they're too fucking dumb. So we'll see, you know, if, if Kevin McCarthy's able to do a damn thing. As we've seen, it's very, very hard to unite a party. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, probably the greatest speaker we've ever had, was really, really good at this. And the drop down from, from her to this guy is just off the charts terrible. It's, it's marked. It's a, it's a chasm that uh, Evil Knievel couldn't even jump over on his motorcycle back in the day. All right. I've got nothing more to add. I've talked long enough. And this is a really good story. I want to get to it. So without further ado, we'll be right back with Ron Pollard. Ron Pollard, welcome to Prevail Podcast. Hey, hey, how you doing? Thanks for uh, talking. No, I'm 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 really excited to have you on. You have um, you have an incredible story to tell. That I think the story is still ongoing, and it's about a topic that I find fascinating, but know not that much about, which is art. Um, one of the themes of the podcast, or one of the through lines, is that we keep hitting on this thing about art and free ports and you know, how you don't have to declare who buys the things when art changes hands. So therefore, there's a lot of um, shadiness involved with it. Uh, your story is not a shady story, but it's a fascinating story because it in, it involves Russian avant-garde art or really Soviet era avant-garde art that you acquired and what happened before that and what happened after. Let, I, let, let's get right to it. So before we go into that, a little bit about you. You're a, you're a photographer, you're an architectural photographer. How did you get interested in art? What, what was your, 
you know, motivation to have you always been a big like museum guy? What's your what's your background? Well, um, hey, I went to Columbine High School, right? I went I lived in Colorado. I was a draw I dropped out. It was a terrible school. You know, I, I picked up a camera and started finding that I could really it was it, I could find meaning using a camera. And uh, so I went to school at the Art Institute of Chicago, and I got an undergraduate degree there. And, you know, it's steeped in art history. You're connected to the museum. And uh, so, you know, every day you walk down the, you know, you can actually enter the school through the museum and take different routes and see different artworks. And uh, and then I worked in the art history department. So I have a really well-rounded background in art history. And then I went to UCLA for grad school and I, I didn't finish it because I didn't really want to teach. And I, I didn't see a future as a professional artist just because it's too, too, too dicey. So yeah, I became an architectural photographer. It was pretty, um, fairly easy transition because architecture is closer to art. Skip ahead, you know, 30 years, uh, my brother, who was an Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, uh, he was a navigator for a long time in the AWACS spy planes, mm-hmm. you know, Air Force family. And um, he would come down to visit. And I have a house full of, you know, junk that I've collected over the years. And he wanted to buy some art. He saw the art that I had collected. And I said, well, you know, um, I, I'll help you find something. And I had seen a photograph on eBay of couple years before there was by a photographer named Alexander Lachenko. He was a really seminal Russian avant-garde photographer and graphic designer. He was an absolute genius. And this thing was a postcard, uh, an original photographic postcard. And it was coming out of Latvia and it was a dollar. And it was one of his photographs used as a postcard. And I was like, holy crap. And I realized they didn't know what it was. And so I just punched in a search for avant-garde art, Russian avant-garde and constructivism. There were two schools. Well, two of the main schools were constructivism and suprematism. And I would do a search and it took a couple of years. And all of a sudden these five paintings popped up. And I called my brother. I said, hey, man, let's just go in half on one of these and just see what I got. They were terrible photographs, but they were such, they vibrated. Okay. And they were out of Germany. And the guy said, you know, uh, from schools in Russia. And all this art, all the Russian avant-garde art of this period, you know, a huge percentage of it was produced in large state-run art schools. What year? What year? What this was the 20s or the 30s? Oh, the... from say 1914 to 1930, mid-30s, after you know, Stalin kind of put the kibosh on this stuff. Okay. So it's the the real avant-garde movement started earlier, but the the real the schools sort of formed after the revolution and they were, they were run by the government and uh, they were very progressive and very forward looking. There were a lot of women artists that were really some of the best of the best artists they produced. I loved the art they produced and I loved the ideas behind it. And I'd seen an exhibit in Chicago of a collection by this, that was by owned by a guy named George Kostakis. Um, so this is the mid eighties, the wall was still up, iron curtain. And all this stuff came out and he was like a mid-level bureaucrat. And uh, he was finding this stuff, you know, it being used to board up windows and in people's, you know, attics and, and stuff. And he was buying it for nothing. And he amassed this enormous collection of masterpieces for, and he was a, he was a government worker. He was a, uh, I think he was a sec, he worked at the Canadian embassy. Okay. And so I knew that story. That was something that I knew. And, I, and, and these paintings pop up. Buy the paint. We, we buy two paintings from the guy. They arrive a couple weeks later. I open the package up and say, holy shit, these are fucking incredible. And the thing about all this 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 type of work, it was, it was very urgent. They were, the, the work often has a sense of urgency about it. It's not perfect. You know, they're not yeah. perfectly painted. They're very visceral and provisional and it was art that like needed to be made and these vibe that and i took them to a conservator uh you know someone who, who works on paintings and and has knowledge of the way paintings age and blah blah blah. and she looked at him she said these things are absolutely fucking right you know she goes where'd you get them and i was like i can't tell you but she's like i don't know how you got these but this is and she was really familiar with this type this period of art history and she worked on some Russian avant-garde paintings. She said, these are dead right. 
So we contacted the guy and said, stop selling them on eBay. We'll buy everything you got. You, I can't believe you found these on eBay. That's, that's incredible. But, you know, that's where so much art gets laundered. You know, during the Iraq war, they were like, there was all this stuff popping up on eBay. And eBay is, you know, it's funny because all these people poo-poo it. But I walked into dealers' back rooms in New York. And you know what's on the screen on the computer? eBay. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you go to Gagosian in New York and they've got this room full of old books and cameras and a lot of that stuff. They're buying secondhand on eBay or God knows where else. <laughs> and they become more precious and more valuable once they enter the gallery. Right. I'm assuming that's where they get it. I'm not saying that's where he gets it, but there's a lot of, a lot of material. It's like, a, it's like a debris field. Okay. And, and, and so we contacted this guy, we get the paintings and he starts sending us photographs. Okay. Now, what you know? What year is this that this is happening? Two thousand four. Two thousand four. So okay. We acquired the the majority of the collection between two thousand four and two thousand seven. Okay. And it was during the Iraq War, and uh, we my my brother my dad was in the Air Force, retired. My brother was in the Air Force, and USAA had some kind of a magical deal going. And we were shipping these paintings overnight. We'd get a box of them for a couple hundred bucks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a big box of mm -hmm. like five paintings. And, you know, you open them up. Holy shit. You know, go to the bank, transfer money, buy more. And my brother, who is a novice in this field, in, in this world, I'm, I, I don't make any claims to being an expert in, in what's happening, but I, I, I knew that this was going to be a problem and we got and Brad, this friend of ours, Brad got involved and he started, uh, you know, we started splitting them up as they came to us. We would divvy them up, you know, after three years, we had 160 paintings. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, and every time they arrive, you're like, holy shit, they're better than the last. I mean, there's a spectrum of, quality and importance but we were getting masterpieces from this guy now he told us that we um that he acquired them when he purchased the contents of a shipping of an unclaimed shipping container in germany at a, at, a, at a freight auction okay okay and he said dealers took half this is a group of dealers and i think i know who they were and he took the other half and he's just been selling them off. All that's been corroborated. I mean, the 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 shipping container. All of us have come to believe that's probably true. As weird as it sounds, and what was happening was this was in the early '90s, and these paintings are starting to sort of flow out apparently, and they were popping up paintings just like the paintings we were buying. The same family were appearing at Sotheby's and Christie's in their catalogs and they're going for a ton of money. Yeah. Okay. And unattributed, but you know, Russian avant-garde, it's very uh, precious uh, cultural artistic material. And just to be touched by these, 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 you know, revolutionary artists to make these, you know, they, they were just valuable inherently, even if you didn't know who they were. But then all of a sudden, and really it was like 1996, this magazine Art News published this article called like Betrayal of the Russian Avant-Garde and said it was flooded with forgeries and blah, 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 blah. Well, this article came out 10 years before we sort of bought, started buying the paintings. And you'd read the article and they weren't really, they weren't substantiate, substantiating any of their claims. They didn't have examples of forgeries. They were just, it was just like propaganda. Yeah. Okay, and they they had this thing uh, the the you know every every it's not just a Russian thing but it's called a weaponized headline. It's you know betrayal and big avant garde and Russian avant garde you know words <laughs> and and letters and uh, and so um, it really works though it really really works. And so whenever we would bring this up, we were, I was I was really adamant that we not make it known that we have this. Okay. And we 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 went to a second conservator just to get a second opinion. Same thing. She's like, they're they're fucking right. And then for some stupid reason, it did it did make sense. But we had a, an appraisal done, 
And this woman uh, was a board certified appraiser and she saw this stuff and she was like, they're absolutely right. Um, I, you know, she had been a Egyptologist. Okay. So there's tons of forgeries and Egyptian artifacts. She's like, obviously these aren't fake. Okay. And so she praised like 30 of our paintings at somewhere around 50 million bucks. And I was like, this is not good. I mean, you know, I mean, we paid nothing for them. Wait, wait, wait. So, okay. So a professional art appraiser. Yes. Appraises paintings you bought on eBay. Yeah. For over $50 million. And your first reaction is, oh, this is not good. No, I, I don't know if my first reaction was, this is not good, but this is, well, what happens, it's really funny because she wanted to sell the paintings for us. Okay. And she was, she was like, it'll be a thing that happens probably at night at an airport on a runway with, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we've done, I've done this before. I know people who do it and I can make those arrangements. And I was like, I don't want to fucking be involved. There's no way I'm going to do that. And I said, I want to go to a lawyer. And so I went to a lawyer. The lawyer was like, holy shit. He contacted another lawyer who was one of these guys that does the offshore stuff. And he was totally legit. I mean, he there, if you understand why people put their money offshore, if it's legitimate, there's actually, there's a reason for it. And he listened to the story. He said, look, this is the deal. He said, and I'll draw an analogy. If you buy, if you walk out onto the street and there's guys selling a, a, a new Apple iMac in the box for 50 bucks, mm -hmm. do you buy it? No. I, no, you assume it's something. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Same thing with these, right? So yeah. he said, you need to go to the FBI. He had connections there. And so we went to the FBI and they were great. I mean, you know, they're, 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 they couldn't find a crime, but they sent it off to their art uh, division. And, and our, the agent who was assigned to us was, uh, was like, they really want to know what happens next, you know, because <laughs> this is very interesting. But he's like, we couldn't find any crime. And at one point, the lawyer had called me and said, uh, you know, this, your, your agent, the special agent uh, contacted the lawyer and wanted to know if we would uh, consider involving ourselves in a sting operation if they turned out to be stolen. And he goes, and, and the lawyer was this kind of like guy at the talk like this. And he said, well, Ron, I told him no, you know, <laughs> and that, uh, I don't think you want to be involved in the Russian, with the Russian mafia. And I was like, fuck. And that was when I was standing on my deck drinking a sun tea. And I was like, this is going to be about the story. This is going to be the story. You know, I need to move this forward with the idea that this is a story, not, um, you know, there's something, this is going to lead to something weird and interesting and probably kind of big. So again, I'm just very cautious, moving very slowly. You know, we're still buying paintings, even in the midst of all this. You know, I know the art world. I know how it works. There's two, two main tenets. Okay. One is, if you're an artist, and you, you know, you're, the, the, the goal of most artists for their career is to exhibit in museums, and you know galleries that can actually sell their work um you never approach a gallery you never approach a museum you set up a case where they they approach you you they have to approach you okay because if you go to them they're not gonna they're never gonna take you seriously okay so that's that's number one uh, i can't think i'll think of the other one but <laughs> what, what what i what i've done was I had a friend who's an architect, really super good guy. Uh, he was a progressive architect that had done this uh, development up in Longmont, and I was I was doing photography for him. And I went up and go, "Hey man, um, I think we we need a we need a, an exhibit, you know, at a museum." And he and we we're trying, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good idea." And he has an arts education too. And um, and his wife had been a, a curator for a long time, and she was like, "Yeah." She, which one of the things she said also was um, that was tr really true is, you know, if we had found these paintings forty years ago, we would be heroes. In the world, the world has changed. 
you can't do that anymore because it's being controlled. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're scheming and thinking about how to do this. And this guy who had this small, this developer uh, did this new urbanist community. And he, it was a big build out uh, where an old mall used to sit. And he anchored it with a cultural amenity, which was this kind of thing they called the lab. And it was just okay. a, it was just basically a little museum-y kind of thing. And the guy that ran it, we went, went to him and um, brought a couple paintings. I went with the, my friend, the architect, who had a lot of credibility. Okay, he was respected. And the guy's like, uh, I, and then all of a sudden, he's like, I'll give you a show. And I was like, fuck right on. Even if it's at the lab, that'd be fine. <clears throat> Just to get him out. Well, he gets a job as the director of the Museum of Contemporary Art here, which is kind of this non-collecting, kind of weird museum that doesn't, it's, it's not hugely credible, but it's okay. It's a nice big building, again, built by a developer who wanted to bring a cultural amenity to Denver. But he's, he's all of a sudden the director, and he, and he says, I'm going to do your, your show at the museum. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you know, on tender hooks, again, you don't ever call them. You don't, this is the thing you do. You don't, you're never needy. Okay. You know that, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it's the same. As soon as you act desperate, it's over. That's the, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And my, also my feeling was, if it doesn't work there, I'm going to fucking find another way to do it. So I don't give a shit anyway. This is a train. It's moving. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we, we we actually pull off this exhibit and uh, it was really disappointing. I mean, uh, it was the, I think it was the most well-attended exhibit they ever had up to that point. You know, I never had a voice in it. I never had, I mean, we designed, um, this friend and I, the architect designed the whole exhibit and Mark, the, the architect's concept of putting all these paintings in these, these walls were just was spectacular. I've seen I've seen pictures of it, and it is because you have pictures on your website yeah. and in the movie. Is it, it you showed in the movie? Yeah. The, the, the... I think so. Yeah, this yeah. is a picture of it, and it was it was really really wonderful. Well, but the thing is, again, the art world is a is a cesspool, and <laughs> and we got no credit for it. I mean, I was I was never. Uh, uh, I was never talked to, interviewed. I would go there. I, there would be, I would walk by the museum and there'd be parties of all of these, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to go. Yeah. But basically what happened was the, 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 the museum director stole all the prestige from me. Like that was, was valuable to him. I didn't really give a shit. So I kind of was like, well, whatever, you know, and also, and then he, 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 uh, Mark, uh, uh, had this, um, is this interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Okay. I, I know it, where we're going to go next, but keep. Yeah, it's the mechanics of of sort of trying to push something through the world that's almost impossible to do. And anyway, a book of, about the the collection based on the exhibit basically was published, and it wasn't. It was really a flop. You know, it kind of just like I said, the the exhibit was this really high point, but also in some ways it was like the low point. Because as it moved forward, you realize that this was had been taken over by someone who wasn't who shouldn't have it. Yeah, you know yeah. The, the, the museum director took it over, and um, he went on the radio once and he said, "I'm convinced that you know a number of the paintings are painted by the masters." And I was like, first of all, you don't fucking say that. That's the wrong wrong. It was just dumb." And so it was really a painful period. And, you know, all my my brother and uh, Brad, the other owners of the paintings and friends who had been involved really were kind of angry with me. Okay. Because I'd given this guy too much license. The way I saw it was a friend of mine calls it a rabbit. You know, um, you're driving down the freeway and the speed limit is 70 miles an hour and somebody goes by you at 90. You can probably pick it up the speed to 80. Yeah. Okay. And this guy was, this museum director was just like blazing down the road. And I was like, okay, I'll just see if he gets caught. You right. Know? Right. Okay. Yeah. And nothing really happened. Okay. I want to review for a second, but before we do, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Ron Pollard. 
Okay, we're back with Ron Pollard. I didn't even say the name of the. It's, it, you, you've written a bunch of essays. Um, Emperor of Lies is one of these things. Empire of Lies. What is it? Empire. Empire, Empire of Lies. What did I say? Emperor. Oh, I, can't I think it's Emperor. Yeah. I can't read my writing lately. I think it's, I've said Empire good. of Lies, which is a good title. And then you have a film called uh, I Found Malevich. Is that that right. I can title right? Okay, which is right. on YouTube and is wonderful. Um, it's a, a short film, and it's I thought it was quite good. Um, and you can see all these paintings, uh, which are magnificent. So I want to just now just let's just review what's happened here. To, to, OK, so it, in post-revolutionary Russia, which is now the, the Soviet Union, the burgeoning Soviet Union, Lenin is still alive until I think 29, 24. Yeah. So it's this whole period of time. There's these artists um, that are sort of imbued with this spirit, painting these wonderful paintings that are avant-garde. As you say, they're not precise. They're more like we have to get this painting done right now, or else you know the and and you can sense that that when you look at these things, you can sense the urgency and they feel vibrant. There's a vibrancy to them that when you open them up and look at them, you're like, oh my god, this is you know knowing nothing about art even or the the the, the provenance of the painting, you look at it, you're like, this is a good painting, you know. Yes. Like Mr. Burns says on The Simpsons, I don't know much about art but I know what I hate and I don't hate this. It's like that. Right? <laughs> now, what happened is in, in the Soviet Union, Stalin, um, who was insecure as dictators are, um, decided to like squash all sort of dissent. He read this art as being dangerous to the communist, whatever the fuck was in his mind and uh, suppressed all of it. And a lot of it just got taken out of circulation completely. It just vanished. So what looks like happened is this stuff wound up what what year was it 38 or 39 that the year stamped on some of the paintings right yeah the, the, well actually the the one painting that has the uh, the inventory label uh with it says verified or you know translates and uh, it verify it's verified or it checked in uh, 1939 uh, that's a censorship label Actually, a, yeah. a guy that I, you know, that's has been sort of researching this, has found books that have been censored, were censored by the Soviets that have that same stamp. So um, basically, yeah, they took them and they, they these these paintings, the, the story goes that um, when these schools were really vibrant, so that the, 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 the art wasn't produced like we think of art being produced in in our our world. It was produced, um, you know, in studios and by, owned by individual artists. They were they were painted collectively, and the the um, the master artists were teaching students, and some of the students would be called out and raise the level of of a teacher. And the, it was open to the public; anybody could come and paint. They were they were big, you know, the Bauhaus. Yeah, it was the Russian version of the Bauhaus, but it was open to the public. It was a free education. And I think that's my friend Rita in England. I think her her point, that she, one of the points she's made to me, that makes sense, is that Lenin, Lenin and Stalin saw this as actually capturing the heart of the people much more than they ever could. Yeah. And like you said, they're very insecure. But what the plan was, you know, early on, was that this art would be produced, and then in in sort of a production line or in these studios. They pull out the best works, and the stuff was churning, and they would ship it off to, you know, Belarus, uh, you know, Kiev, Odessa, and so a lot of these paintings um, were brought into these museums, and um, with the intent of making a sort of contemporary art museum, they were going to be the, really the first idea of a contemporary art museum in the world. So Stalin, you know, puts the kibosh on that. Uh, the, the paintings were, they weren't destroyed. They were put in cold storage. And there's this amazing photograph um, in Life magazine in 1960. And, you know, the CIA was sending these guys or debriefing them when they came out. And it's this really beautiful story about going, you know, finding these artists who were sort of hanging on, you know, the edge of going to the gulag by making abstract or experimental art. But at one point, the, the the reporter gets the journalist gets taken into this storage facility, and there's this blurry photograph 
of all of these Russian avant-garde paintings. And they look just like ours. The backs look the same. It's like, <laughs> it's like holy shit. Well, and our, our friend in uh, um, Israel who, who inherited a collection of these paintings from his father, uh, he's really resourceful. And uh, they found a lot of ledgers. He's, they've gone into Soviet archives and found these ledgers uh, showing all these missing paintings. And they were all sort of taken into the museum in, in Kiev in 1919, 1921, 22. And there's just a huge long list and they're all missing. And, and this friend David went in with a film crew and they interviewed the museum director, one of the curators. And so fucking amazing. She's like in this room and she's just beautiful. She's this beautiful, natural beauty. And she's just, and she got, you can just tell she's a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. And she, she reaches behind this shelving unit and there's these doors, there's these steel doors and they're like rusted red. And she said this behind these doors, they were filled with Russian, with avant-garde art. Now they're empty. There used to be a seal. The seal was broken. They're gone. Wow. Okay. And, and you know, when the Nazis came and invaded Russia, invaded uh, Ukraine and Russia, they stole everything that wasn't nailed down. This is really kind of insane. Great. Okay. They know that they took like, there are like 2,000 paintings taken out of Kiev for the museum, and they went someplace in Germany. They recovered, I think, 300 of them. But one of our paintings, it's by an artist named Olga Raznova. It's a street scene with a tram, and it's it's really really incredible painting. It had the original frame, and you turn the frame over, and the paper it had been papered in the back since the day it was probably after it was painted, first exhibit, whatever it was where it was shown, carved hand carved in the in the in the frame, covered with grime says U.S. Army. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like, it, this is like the army took it and, and it's like a Raiders of the Lost Ark I don't kind know. of thing? Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, but you know, every time when we had the exhibit at MCA, when I had, you know, this guy from the, you know, this, I'm not going to, the, the, this big, the big museum, out, you know, one of the country's biggest museums came to see the paintings. I'll show this stuff to these people. It's almost like, you know, Rita, that friend of mine in England who's worked with me on the film, she has a good term for it. It's like showing a, a card trick to a dog. <laughs> you know, they literally go, uh, oh, huh, huh. Well, what's for lunch? <laughs> you say, Are you taking me out to lunch? And, um, you know, they're always looking for a free lunch. So um, it's really frustrating to have something that's so potentially historically important and beautiful and meaningful in your hands and to have no, get no respect. Yeah. And I'm not talking about me getting respect, even the paintings getting the respect. Yeah. Because they, there's this forgery thing, which I'm going to, I want to ask about that Mm. too. But so what we know is we know there was this big school of, of, of painting that went on. That's a, that is a fact. We know that there were thousands of these paintings at this museum in Kiev, and we know that they're gone. And we know that they look like the ones that you have. And we know that they probably, you know, wound up in Germany because either after the war or even during the the, the Soviet period, they might have been shipped to East Germany. Like there's there's definitely reasons why they would wind up in Germany. Plus, if they're in Kiev, they're in a shipping container. They would be sent there by boat. That makes sense too. like all of the all of this shit makes sense. And every expert that you've brought in to look at these things that said oh yeah those are right however there's this movement this push this disinformation campaign coming out of now russia putin's russia these oligarch guys um to to invalidate what these paintings are and to say no this is a, a they're forgeries and the forgeries is a drug on the market as if there's there's so much to be made by forging these things that there's like some right. secret, you know, which <laughs> makes no fucking sense. And uh, who's doing the forgeries and why and for what purpose? So, but these are people that have a lot of uh, sway and a lot of inf- influence. And one of the people is this guy uh, um, who is, you know, one of the oligarchs that 
now is in the news and 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 is on oh. he's on the sanctions list, right? This guy. Oh, it was, actually, I, I I feel kind of bad for him. I mean, and I'm, I want to make this clear. I I understand the Russians' motivation. I understand the reason that they would be doing this. It kind of makes sense. Oh, why then? Tell me, because it doesn't make sense to me. Well, because this is my theory. Okay. They don't really have a sense of the same, like the, a sense of the rule of law. If if this happened to pretty much any other country, you know, that was a, a liberal democracy, um, there would be a negotiation, probably UNESCO or some cultural international body, the UN would step in and try to get a restitution thing going and, you know, fix this problem because it's a problem. Um, but if the Russians agree to something like that or use that as a tool, then they're agreeing to a you know international order of law, which mm-hmm. they don't agree to ever. And and also it's embarrassing. And you know, I I had my father-in-law was a heart surgeon in Hawaii, and you know the artist Naguchi, Osama yeah. Naguchi. Yeah. Uh, they were really good friends. And um, so he's the sculptor, right? No. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. There, there was yeah, a sculpture he, outside the AP building that he did. As the, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He's 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 a beautiful artist, and my father-in-law was a good friend of his, and he fr- gave my father-in-law a big drawing to. And the, my father-in-law was a, had a lot of status in Hawaii. He was a heart surgeon. He was a great guy, really intelligent, and he and Noguchi gave it to him. It was a, it was a, uh, sketch for a monument to Hiroshima and Nagasaki that Noguchi couldn't get built in Japan, sent it to, uh, uh, he wanted to maybe do it in Pearl Harbor. So he called, you know, my father-in-law and he gave, and he gave this drawing, said, show it to Daniel and Noy, who they were friends with. And it didn't go anywhere. He said, keep the drawing. So my father-in-law gets Alzheimer's, third wife. I say, hey, did you ever get anything from Noguchi? I just want, you know, I mean, I understand why you wouldn't. You know, and he goes, I got it. He gave me that drawing. And he goes, what? Are, he turns to his third wife, Jane, and, and says, whatever happened to that drawing was in my office. And I remember it was a big charcoal and ink drawing. And she goes, I sold it at a garage sale. Uh, right. That's what this is. <laughs> now, if and I have other stories, I have a really scalding story about a photograph that I acquired when I was a student in Chicago. And you can't move art into the world, even if it's absolutely authentic and correct in this. So so, so what I'm saying is the Russian sort of bitterness about that and, and, and sort of embarrassment about it is completely understandable and in some ways very legitimate. The thing that the, the, the forces that I am most disgusted by are the westerners these okay. museum people these 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 dealers and and they're they're so rapacious and um they're like a they're like a cartel they're like a yeah. clique mm-hmm. and um i've had i if we if this went on for this pod you know conversation went on for you know 12 hours i could tell you stories that would just be you can't believe the things i've I run into um uh but everybody sees them initially as a pot of gold right and 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 you can see that that kind of greed you know you can it's like it's like it's like a dog that that wants a treat and then they realize the treat is like not really a treat you know yeah. it's poison <laughs> you know <laughs> I was thinking, is, is this like the monkey? It's like you bought the monkey claw on eBay, you know, like the yeah. first monkey claw. But, um, you know, you say that th- th- there's a rapacity to 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 these dealers and they see these things and there's a, over 150 of them and each one is going to sell for God knows how much money and they're going to yeah. get their cut in this. And, you know, we, we've talked about it on the, the show, on my podcast before with, other, with uh, previous guests about how the art world works. And first of all, it's a great way to launder money because there's no there's no reporting responsibility. They, they yeah. you know, you're allowed to buy art and not say who's buying it. You could pay cash. It's not regulated at all. Not only that, but there is a finite number of of canvases. You know, there's only 
The reason that Picasso's and Van Gogh's and these paintings sell for as much as they do is because there's not that many of them. And there's always going to be more buyers uh, than there are sellers. There's going to be more people that will buy the thing than there will be a painting. Same thing with like with a sports team. The Phoenix Suns are going to be up for sale and they're going to sell for over $4 billion and everyone's heads are going to explode. But it's like there's not that many teams and everybody wants one. And it's the same thing. Now, these paintings by some by some quirk of fate have wound up with one of the few people on planet earth who not only appreciates the artistic beauty, but isn't trying to make a buck off them. So it, it's sort of remarkable that these things landed with you of all people. It's almost like, yeah, I, Hey, you know. I'm not, I'm not opposed to making a buck. <laughs> I mean, I've done it before. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I have a little side hustle where, you know, a friend and I share an antique mall space. And okay. I find things and I bring it in and I sell it. You know, it's fun. This is different in that, you know, there's that uh, scene in Breaking Bad where, um, what's the what's the main character's name again? Walter White. Walter, Walter White. White. Walter yeah. White's yeah. wife takes him to the storage unit. Yeah. yeah. And there's $50 million. Yeah. And you can't spend it. Yeah. You know, you're going to get caught. You know? <laughs> And, yeah. and people are going to ask questions. And, you know, I, I actually, I know the story of the monkey ball kind of, it's, it's, it's like, I'll tell you, I, I always think of analogies and, and um, I've, I've, I, everybody who, not everybody, but I mean, within my circle, I'm the, I'm the guy standing. I'm the one that does all the, you know, tr I'm, you know, does the film, I'm trying, you know, does the exhibit. Tries, we're, I'm trying to make a virtual exhibit of the paintings I want to put online. I've written all the essays and done the website and the, all this stuff. I'm alone. I really like literally am pretty much alone. And the analogy I have is I'm running out of gas. I'm in the desert in the I'm, I'm in Nevada. Yeah. And I have a, a half a glass of water and that's it. And I see a car coming down the road. And I don't know if it's triple a that's going to come save me or if it's a serial killer yep and i'm kind of thinking it's not triple a <laughs> you know i mean it's like i've had all the people who should be the triple a tow driver visit me and rather than fixing or helping to sort of fix the problem they actually, they, they, they almost make it worse by doing nothing. And, um, you know, one of the funny things about this that's actually kind of gratifying in a way is when you have these things, this, these things exhibited, you won't get anybody from the established museums to come see them ever. Why is that? Uh, because they're a threat to their, uh, this is what I, I surmise is, it's a threat to their um, their status as experts. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And and also kind of like the guy from the big museum that came to visit, I can say so-and-so came and saw the paintings. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk to him and see what he thinks. They don't want that. They Their world is very, they're managers. They're not... Museum directors and curators generally have very little, they don't, a lot of them don't even like art. I had a museum director tell me he hates art museums. <laughs> okay. And, and they, they're, they're managers. This is the problem with that's going on in this country. I think is, is they're cultural managers. They're not really propelling the culture forward. What they're doing is they're, they're using their museums for galas and uh you know corporate events and uh you know they may buy Tr trust know. washing money of evil families that make money on opioids absolutely yeah okay and um you know you talk about the free ports i we store our art in an art storage facility here in denver and um the guy who it's i don't know you know it's been a couple of years since i've gone down there but uh the guy one of the guys who runs these they're really good people the people that work there are great they're a good person they're wonderful but they deal with all this stuff yeah. And um uh the stories that he tells me will are just like I would never repeat them. 
but you know, unless it was just you know in a, in a skiff. Uh, <laughs> but you you kind of you know it's it's it bad, Greg. It's bad. I mean, things are bad, and and the art world is like a you know it's just this uh, petri dish, and and it's grown. And when I started in the art world back when I was a you know in my late teens, early twenties, when I went to art school in Chicago, and kind of really you know got my you know got my birthed into that world. It's really changed since then. And it's become a real cesspool of like big egos and money and status. It's always had that, but that's really almost all it's become. And there's so much bad art being produced because there's this weird market that I think you're right about the laundering. I think a lot of this stuff is is money laundering. Yeah. And 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 it's backroom deals. And, uh, you know, that's the problem also that we have is that I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a fucking backroom deal. I'm just, I, I don't have any desire to meet somebody on a runway with a suitcase full of money. No, I wouldn't want to do that either. That's like terrifying. No. Talk about the serial killer and the, uh, yeah, yeah no, I'm not yeah. doing that. <laughs> well, but that's, you know, I had, there was a woman and I, 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 she did a film that was relevant to this topic. And I went to the screening, a screening, and she was there. And um, I had a book of the paintings. And this is fairly early on. And I pulled, I went over and I pulled her to the side and I said, I have this collection of Russian avant-garde art. And she looked through it and she said, you know, she said, I was doing a documentary on Jackson Pollock. And, you know, there's this whole Pollock Krasner Foundation, their authentication board and all this stuff. She goes, I started delving into that. And she said, I started getting into the museum world of this, the controls of this stuff. She goes, I stopped. And she looked at me and she said, they're really big drug dealers. And she put her finger in my chest and she said, you're a little drug dealer. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and and I tell people that, you know, it's and it always it's funny because it happens to me because I'm the point man. And uh, uh, well, I had this really funny experience. Uh, we met with this guy. I'm not going to mention his name. I won't even mention where he's at, but he's a he's a teaches at a university. He's big in this field. And um, we went to pay him a visit. And I have this big folio of large images of paintings and I brought the, this thing and he's flipping through it and my brother was actually there and and uh my brother's concerned about authenticity I think it's idiotic and and my brother says to this guy uh do you think they're real and the guy says of course they're not of course they're not they're they're all forgeries and I was like that's fantastic and he goes what what are you talking about and I said well I said all the problems are gone if they're fakes. And I said, now you're a leading expert in this field. You've determined that they're fakes. Now we can exhibit them as forgeries. There's nothing more people love more than a forgery. It's true it's in the funny. coin world too, actually. Yes. Like sometimes the, coin the, guy. The, yeah. the coins, like the ancient, like contemporary forgeries, not like something that somebody made, you know, down the street, but like, like the Arabs um, early on used to forge Byzantine coins and they couldn't, yeah. they didn't know the, the, uh, you know, what the letters meant. So you could tell because they look terrible. Yeah. It's like, like that a sounds child. Totally cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to spot, but. Yeah. And that's exactly, these paintings are that, that's absolutely fantastic. And I was like, well, this is like, so somebody, you know, and all the, all the so whenever you bring, and then he looked at me like, it was, you know, it was so dumb, Greg. I, I mean, he looks over at me and he says, um, I, I think you should have another exhibit. And I said, yeah, okay. And he said, but at a big, a bigger museum, more important museum. And he mentioned this museum where he has connections. And I said, well, that'd be great. He goes, yes, we could bring in some real Malayeviches and some real Rachenkos and you could hang them next to each other. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And, and I knew, I just knew he was fucking bullshitting. And, um, and he goes, I go, I go, yeah, that doesn't sound very possible. And I go, you know, Malevich painting $50 million. How do you get it? 
you know, I mean, how do you ship it? What I mean, too expensive, not going to happen. And he goes, well, you, I have, I have uh, close relations with a, with a museum director in Russia. We could do it there. And I said, well, then they're never going to come back. And he said, but then you'll know they're real. <laughs> and uh, he kind of, you know, it was really weird. He had a, a big picture of Stalin on his wall. As one does. As yeah. one does. You know, Margaret Brooke White, the photographer, did these portraits of Stalin. And this is big. It was an original print. And I go, that's a, that's a nice image. And he goes, doesn't he look magnificent? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, I went, I, I, I went to school in Chicago in the late 70s, early 80s. And I remember there were these pamphleteers who would stand out in front of the school because we're easy targets because we're art students. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd have discussions with these guys. They have a little red star in their hat. And, hat. and I was just like, these are full of shit. You know, I mean, they, you guys kill art, you know, <laughs> and, and, and um, it's so exhausting, Greg. I mean, so, okay. Now we're, we're coming up on time. So I want to land here. What do you want to have happen now? You want, uh, cause I think if I'm you, I want, I want to know the paintings are real and I want them to be authenticated and be accepted into the broader world of art as authentics and i want them somewhere where they can be seen is that what you want what do you want ultimately well um first of all i don't think that's ever going to happen okay yeah but so it's it's kind of like i i you know hey i want hair you know (laughs) (laughs) uh no it's i think i think you know my friend Catherine, who was a museum director for years we've talked about this i think I don't want to, I don't want to be a museum owner or what I think it would be really great if an institution could actually take over the job of consolidating all of these works, because I know where there's probably three or 400 other paintings that are of this same group. They should be, they should be studied. And, and, um, you know, there's, there's paintings that would actually change the way I think we would view that period in our history and add add to it. And also, I think that they're really emblematic uh, of what is lost when, you know, a government turns totalitarian or authoritarian and the dangers of that. So I think that there's a lot of cultural value in having them exhibited in the world and tell that story. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not an independently wealthy guy. I mean, I'm a regular person. And and so uh, yeah, I think I think that if they could somehow find a safe home, and eventually, you know, it's that Schopenhauer quote. What is it? Um, things start off being ridiculed, and then da, 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 and, and eventually it becomes self-evident. You yeah. know, I think we're in the midpoint. I think the ridiculing with all that Russian propaganda and all this stuff, sort of stuff. You know, now when I had this last show, uh, one of the things that wasn't brought up were, I did have people say stupid things, but it was never, uh, oh, they're fake because I read something in a magazine. Now that people kind of know that a lot of that stuff's bullshit, but, um, and also they're just so interesting in that they're, this idea of, of what's real and what do we value they're such strong kind of representatives of of a, a way to kind of decipher the world. And I think they would actually make people more aware of kind of the mysteries of things. I mean, they're this is very strange paintings. You know, they've got a very strange background and story, and they're very I think they're really spiritual works. You yeah. Know? I think watching the movie, you know, seeing that I've, I've looked at the paintings on the website and and especially in the film, as you show them, they're clear, like, I want to see them, you know, I'm not yeah. I'm not the biggest art museum guy on the planet by any means, but I hate when paintings are places where people can't go see them. Like, I think, you know, let's have so 
the main thing that my takeaway was that is I hope that that these things can be can be shown again because it would be cool to go stand and you know you stand in front of the painting and and see it and the I think yeah. we were talking before the camera was on about the 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 main painting or the the, the sort of the the uh, the all star in the lineup of these paintings is the is the white cross on the on the black background right and yeah. uh, that I think that sort of painting you have to you, you can tell by the the, the pictures and the um uh, how it's used in the film and this and that but i think standing in front of it watching it you know um studying it you get a different the full effect of 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 what it is and what the artist is trying to communicate um you know so hopefully there's, it'll there's, be i don't want to go on to to but there's a wonderful book uh called art as therapy mm -hmm. i really recommend it have you heard about it no it's 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 phenomenal and you know they they talk about how art serves different functions at different periods in your life. And there's certain paintings when you walk in that you're, it's very effective. It affects you and helps you see the world better. makes you feel better. I think these have that, uh, can have that, can fill a void for a certain segment of the human experience, right? Like one of the things that's really sad about the Russian avant-garde is it's, it's so underrepresented yeah. in museums. It's so underrepresented. I mean, and part of the reason is, is just that it was, you know, I, there's a lot of reasons why, why that happened, but it, it's just underrepresented. Yeah. You no, know? it was suppressed. No, that's an interesting point about the, the art at the certain time. And I feel like also just in general with our culture now that there's this sense of, of, um, especially Twitter, which has broken my brain as, as dearly departed as I will miss it, but it's, it has absolutely rewired the way that my brain operates and it's made it harder for me to, to stop and pause. And I feel like, you know, that things like you watch a movie, if a movie's two hours long, it takes two hours to watch the movie and maybe you can watch it again and it'll be four out, but it's, it's timed. And if you listen to music, it's timed. Reading a book is not like that. Reading a book takes as long as it takes you to read the book. And looking at art certainly isn't like that. You can look, you can glance at a painting or you can sit and really look at it for hours. And it and every time you look at it, you might see something a little bit different in it. And I feel like that, that um, stepping back and slowing down and being, you know, giving yourself yeah. space to take in. Um, right. It's it's hard to access that now. It's fucking hard between TV and the 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 internet and everything else. It's it, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. Like one of the I think Twitter is great. You know that there's there's advantages to my brain working that way. But sometimes you need the you the the step back and the other side of it just to balance out the way things are. So I think that's interesting about therapy. Yeah, and it's a communal experience as well because. You know, everybody is, you know, I photograph people looking at art. I think it's really interesting. And you can see them, how their body language and their intercommunication works. You know, for some people, it's a very moving experience. And and for a lot of people, it is certain periods in their life or, you know, whether it's a Norman Rockwell painting or it's a, you know, William de Kooning painting, uh, it can provide you with some sort of anchor point. And, uh, you know, it's really sad what's happened with museums largely these days is they become kind of Twitter. You know, they're, 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 they're these, you know, flashing, screaming yeah. things. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty depressing. Our museum here in Denver is just, I mean, I don't know if it could be any worse. I mean, they, this building is just this, you know, pile of uh, razor blades and it's so unfriendly and, you go inside and it's disorienting and it's actually kind of dirty because they can't clean it because all the walls are going the wrong way. And yeah, you know, and you go, God, what is going on in our culture? You know, I mean, what the fuck are we thinking? But then you go to a place, Kansas City Art Museum. I was there a couple months ago. It was so like centering. And you just have to find a couple paintings. Yeah. And nail yeah. And and it's quiet and it's it's a communal, it's, it's a, it's our house. It's where we can be in a, you know, it's, I don't know. I think it's a, I think, I think they're great. I love art museums, but I think that, uh, um, I don't know if the people who run them always do.
Uh, evidently, they do not. Is, is what we... <laughs> and I don't think a lot of them even really like art that much. I think they like, you know, the, the cafeteria is good and, they're you know, they, they got a prestigious job and, you know, they can meet, you know, rich fancy people. people. Yeah, they meet fancy, fancy people. people. And it's like good for you, you know. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's important. And I think it's I think the paintings fit in that world. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, okay. So where can we find you? Are you on Twitter? Uh, not really. I'm on Instagram. Okay. What's your Insta? Uh, I found Malevich underscore film. Okay. All, you know, I found Malevich one word underscore film. And then the website is uh, art of the zero.com. And then, yeah, I just put the film up on, uh, on YouTube. I just, you know, I, I went through the whole rigmarole of, uh, film festivals and da, da, da. got a lot of awards actually kind of weird, but I don't really count that. I don't really, you know, yeah. Participation yeah. Awards sometimes, but uh, uh, yeah. I like the film. I like the film a lot. I thought it was really well done. It, it's um, cause you, you weave in elements of your backstory also and your dad and your, your brother, not the, not, not the one that, that, uh, um, that that's your partner now. Um, and uh, Rita, that's what that's her name, right? Rita, Rita, that, she's great. That you know, she's it's, unbelievable. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a wonderful film, and I, I also like now with all the stuff going on, all the horrible stuff going on. I found it was really sort of meditative to watch. So really? I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was quite good. So I hope people, um, you know, go go take a look at it. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was zero budget. Zero, zero budget, zero category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, zero. Well, you need, the props were expensive. I think that <laughs> the props. Well, they. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Not according to not according to the to the establishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Anyway, so uh, please go go check this out because, uh, like I said, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting uh, the, and and the paintings are great. So. Uh, Ron Pollard, thanks so much for taking the time today. Great to meet you. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Akuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail. I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give.